We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm trying not to scream into your microphone. And I will say this. I did promise about a week ago an upgrade to the mic. It's still coming. It was just on a week delay for some per- some circumstances that just didn't align. So we're still coming with you with the bad mic, Dan bad mic. It's here, but I don't care. I'm excited. The Giants just won the most impressive game that I can remember this team winning since at least 2016. Quite frankly, it was that Dallas Cowboys Week 14 game in 2016. I will never forget that game, the game where Janoris Jenkins matched up against Des Bryant, forced the fumble. Odell Beckham had a big play that really changed that game. But this one, to me, was in some ways even more exciting because this was unexpected. I don't think at any point me or Nick expected the Giants to win this game going into this game, and I mean Nick and I for the man over there who gave us a a three-and-a-half-star review for saying me and Nick, and I am trying to improve that. Bad grammar, especially for an editor. But I'm excited. I mean, look, the Giants came into this game, no expectation, no expectation to win this game. They had injuries across the board to key players, and they went out there and fell behind 17 to three and ended up winning the game. I just want to run back some of the stats and some of what actually happened in this game because the Giants improved to the in this game, Nick, to four and one for the first time since 2009. We can seriously at this point start considering the playoffs as a strong possibility. And if you look through this game, they came into this game, they went down 10-3 or 10-0, then 17-3, and then 20-10 before halftime. And then they ended up finishing a game where they had more first downs than the Packers, more total net yards, more rushing yards, more passing yards, and just a dominant, not dominant, but five more minutes of time of possession, nearly five more minutes of time of possession here in this game. So with this game and the Giants coming up with this victory, you had a situation where After the game, the Giants have now become, Nick, this is what I thought was really interesting. They've allowed fewer, and this is courtesy of Greg Harvey on Twitter, they've allowed fewer than 25 points in each of their first five games this season while winning at least four of those five games for the first time since 1993. We're going to get a lot of these fun stats coming in as we look through this 4-1 and impressive start, Nick. But I want to turn the floor over to you. 
just walk me through your what what you went through, because after you do that, I'll kind of go over when I kind of felt like maybe they had a chance and it was late for me. Yeah, not to reiterate too much of what you said, Dan, I did not give the Giants that much of a chance to win this football game. It seemed like there was a confluence of issues surrounding the team. And then once a Dory Jackson goes out, you have your starting quarterback hobbled when the offensive game plan is predicated on him being able to use his athletic ability. There was just a lot surrounding. And then you had the obvious Aaron Rodgers in London type of narrative. And it's just Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers offense going up against Wink Martindale with cornerbacks who are a little bit weaker. But the Giants, yet again, the coaches put them into a position to win this football game, to seize the day and just grit, toughness, resilience, all of these adjectives that we use. It seems like every week they just bear true after a win like this to defeat Aaron Rodgers in that manner in London, in front of the English crowd, fish and chips, whatever. <laughs> it's it's pretty remarkable, man. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, it's not like winning a Super Bowl or anything like that, but it's still something that I did not expect from this team. And there's no quit in this team. And you could say what you want about Daniel Jones, but that dude is tough. And everyone in that locker room seems to buy in to Daniel Jones right now. And some of the hits that he was taking, the way he was extending plays with his legs, the blood that looked like... John Feliciano was having some sort of hemorrhoid issue in some pictures that were floating around Twitter. All of that collectively, it, it speaks to Daniel Jones' overall toughness, but that is something that we never really questioned about the quarterback. No, we never questioned it about Jones. And well, there's a lot to talk about with Daniel Jones. We're going to get to that. But I want to continue to talk just about the overall win for a little bit longer because the Giants went into this game and <laughs> we're doing it at least for this game. They were doing it out there projected wide receiver one, two, and three. Like, all things considered, Kenny Galladay was projected and expected to be a starter this year. He was paid to be one, and the expectation was he wasn't that bad last year. Kadarius Tony projected, expected to be the starter. We learned in week one, Wondell Robinson was basically projected to be that wide receiver three starter. They did it without their edge one in this game, unless you want to call that Thibodeau already. I think Ojolari earns that right now. Without their best defensive interior lineman, Leonard Williams, though, the way Dexter Lawrence is playing, who knows about that? They did it without their projected left guard. Shane Lemieux was supposed to start this season. And now that's racking up. That's edge one, left guard, interior defensive lineman, two of the best people on their defensive front, a starter on the O-line, their three best receivers, their corner two. And honestly, their corner three, like some may, may call Darnay Holmes the corner three, but Cordell Flott is their boundary corner three. And so they're doing this thing with guys that were not expected to play any snaps on the boundary in this game. And despite all of those injuries on the defensive side of the ball, because the wide receiver core is what it is at this point. No one expected this to happen with those three receivers not playing any role in a week five game. But at the same time, the injuries on the defensive have been on the defensive front have been even more pronounced. And despite all of that, Nick, we had a game where Aaron Rodgers did not complete a single pass that he attempted against the Giants in the deep half. And this was 20 plus yards in the air. This was his most deep attempts in a single game without a completion, Nick, since 2016, which coincidentally was also against the Giants in that season where the Giants had a really good defense. But that's a big number. Aaron Rodgers does not, he doesn't target the deep half that often. When he does, his ball placement is usually spot on, and he'll, he'll create those passes. As you see from this, it's the first time since 2016 he didn't complete a deep pass. And that makes what doubles down on making that even crazier to me, Nick, is that they were aggressive in this game. The Giants, you heard after the game, Packers coach LaFleur say, you know, credit to Wink. And it's cool to hear these guys. Like, <laughs> this is not the first time we've heard this, but it's cool, cool to hear these other coaches of teams the Giants are beating give credit to the Giants coaches 
for giving that Giants team an edge. We haven't heard that in a while, and it's not really common. Like most games, I feel like there's no clear edge. The Giants have had a lot of games with a clear coaching edge, this being one of them. And LaFour basically said, like, give credit to Wink. He, you know, people keep asking us, why weren't we running the ball? Why did we have a three and out where we threw three straight incomplete passes, burning no clock? And it's like, he's like, Wink was playing a single high. Like, what do you want us to do? Like, Wink was trying to take away what we wanted to do in some ways. And we had to take those shots because that's what the Giants were daring them to do. And despite them daring them to do that, Nick, they were able to stop it. And it's truly incredible to me to see the Packers go a full half without scoring a single point. I know, look, some of that was aided by the offense. And I think you made a great point on that. So I'm going to let you speak on that, how the offense actually aided the defense. And we've talked about this being a thing in the past. I remember the 2016 Cowboys were the perfect example of this kind of team. Their offense held the ball all game, fewer possessions for their defense and smaller margin for error. But in your mind, how did you feel like the Giants offense really helped the defense in this game? Well, think about the second half. Giants receive the kickoff. They go on an 11 play 56 yard drive that ends in a field goal. Ideally, you want to punch that in and, and get six, but ends in a field goal and makes it a one possession game, made it 20 to 13 at that point. And then you got to think about one of the biggest defensive plays happened on the next drive because Green Bay only had three real drives in the second half because the Giants were just possessing the football. But on Green Bay's first drive in the second half, Dexter Lawrence's sack ended up being one of the best plays because not only was it a sack on a third down, but it knocked Mason Crosby out of field goal range and forced a punt, giving the Giants the football back, where the Giants went on a subsequent 15-play, 91-yard drive, where Saquon Barkley was lost on a negative one-yard play in the first play. So Daniel Jones led the team with Matt Breida, David Sills, Darius Slayton down the field and punched it in for six in such a key critical moment where the New York Giants tied the game in that situation. And then what followed that? The three and out that you were just referencing where Aaron Rodgers threw three passes. I felt like some of those passes were a little off. Others were just really pesky defense. The Fabian Moreau play on Alan Lazard, that was just really pesky defense. And then it seemed like there was a slot fade to Alan Lazard on the first down. And you can't really see on the broadcast angle what exactly is going on. It just looks like Moreau is kind of executing great leverage to the outside to not allow Alan Lazard to get to the sideline. And Aaron Rodgers just ends up kind of throwing it out of bounds. But that goes three and out. Giants take the ball, six plays, 60 yards, touchdown. And now they're up by seven. It's just the offense was executing and the defense was doing what they had to, but the offense keep matriculating the football down the field, Dan, kept Aaron Rodgers on the sideline and it just made that defense more and more tired. So we don't usually do this too much, at least not in the last half decade or so, Dan, but you got to credit the offense for helping the defense yeah. succeed in this one. It's so rare to hear that, Nick. The yeah. off, credit the offense for helping the defense, but that's exactly where the credit belongs. And that's not to say defense didn't play a great game, but when you go on, an eight minute long drive. That's 15 plays, 91 yards. And it's not the Jason Garrett, 15 play, 91 yards. that ends in downs, fourth down or a field goal, 15 yards or seven, whatever it is. This ends in a touchdown. And that's been the key for this giants team. The difference in this four and one team versus all these other teams that have been losing close games in recent years is that they're actually scoring in the red zone. We've talked about this at length for the last two and a half years, how important turning these field goals into touchdowns is and why I am personally very aggressive in my mindset that I don't believe in a lot of field goals. I don't believe in going for field goals in fourth and short situations. I have my ex I have my own opinions on these things. It all comes down to and some. I mean, you can look at it and say it's a lot of it is analytics because, look, if you're fourth and goal at the two and you score a touchdown, that's worth more than double what the field goal is. So do you have you have to have at worse than 50 percent. Mathematically speaking, you have to have a worse than 50 percent chance to to 
complete that play for it not to be a good call. And also you put the offense in a tough spot because they're backed up at their own one yard line, one quick three and out. You're right back in field goal range. If you have a good kicker like, no. So there's a lot of reasons behind it, but the giants haven't been in that situation yet, which has been great. They've actually been scoring touchdowns on their first three downs. And that 91 yard play drive, what makes it so interesting to me, Nick is it was the turning point in the game for sure, but it came just before, as you mentioned, a big turning point when Dexter Lawrence has that huge sack, literally the down, the drive before with the backers of the ball at that point, it's 20 to 13 the backers are driving with ease pretty much at the beginning of that. It looks like, all right, the giants put up a fight, uh, right? The giants, you know, they look pretty good in this game. But the Packers are going to drive here, maybe get seven to go 27, 13, maybe three, either way. It kind of feels like game might be over. The sack kicks them out of field goal range. They have to punt. And that's when the 91 yard drive play drive, or sorry, the 91 yard, touchdown drive happens that's the coolest part it's like it goes from base it's basically a 10 point swing for the giants while chewing up like 10 minutes of clock and by the the time you know it the packers have the ball back they only the the clock is only they go on a long drive that ends in downs obviously which we can talk about but that's it for the court you know it was a base it was a very short game in the second half and that worked to the giants favor that's kind of the team the giants are right now they want short games they don't want these long games where we're going to hurry up all the time. No clock is coming off. This is a team that's winning with a formula right now. They're running the ball really well, and they're getting explosive plays in the run game. They're not turning it over, which I want to get to. That has been a massive key in the Giants' wins. They're not turning it over. They're throwing out great play-calling mixes on the offensive side of the ball to counter what the defense is doing. On the defensive side of the ball, it's the same thing. So they're getting a clear coaching edge on both sides of the ball. And that's the formula. That's it right there. I mean, and they're getting pretty big and they're starting to get pretty big plays of their quarterback, which we'll talk about as well. But the fact of the matter is a short game like this, where, like you said, the offense is kind of helping the defense out. That's fine. That's exactly what we want. And Dan, there were so many moments in this game where we're like, uh, well, you know, at least we tried, right? Like it seemed like Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers were going to break out. Like when Adore Jackson went down, I guarantee collectively that the entire Giants fan base was like, like, what the heck are we going to do? And then we all got PTSD dating back to Corey Ballantyne against Green Bay because what happens? They start just throwing at Nick McLeod. They're just attacking Nick McLeod. And what happened on that second and 10 play on the three and out? He tried to hit Nick McLeod, and Nick McLeod made a great play on the football. Looks like he got his hand on a, a risky, risky play. play. A risky, risky play, play, but a great play. <laughs> but a great <laughs> play. They could have gone the other way. He tries to undercut that route. Very risky, but it worked. But it worked exactly, and that helped the three and out. So I also love to see like a player like Nick McLeod. Like half the Giant fans don't even know who who Nick McLeod is, and he's stepping up in that situation after getting picked on earlier on that seven play drive that was stopped by the Dexter Lawrence sack. But dude, that Dexter Lawrence sack, and I know we've already brought it up. Like after I rewatched the game, I was like that 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 is the play of the game in my opinion. If you had to isolate one play, and if the one play in the first half that really stands out to me when the Giants are down seventeen to three was the wildcat weak side pin pull run. That was insane yes. by Saquon Barkley. And the blocks on the weak side, if you look at it, the play side tackles Daniel Bellinger. Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas are over there with Chris Myrick, who's the wing back. And Saquon Barkley hits that hole with Matt Breida as his lead blocker. David Sills blocks down. It's just a pin pull concept. You have Ben Bredesen blocked down the one technique. Center pulls around him. You have Daniel Bellinger pull around David Sills, who's blocking down, who's tight. David Sills blocks three guys, Dan, on that play. He blocks Devondre Campbell, then he peels off and he takes the scraping Darnell Savage, and then he comes back with his outside arm and just gets back to Devondre Campbell again to block him again. And that allows Matt Breida to just hit Savage. And then there's just this really narrow little crease. I'm going to do a breakdown. I'll drop tomorrow morning, just like a two-minute breakdown on my Twitter. 
where Saquon Barkley just, I don't even know how he saw this crease. Like it was just so decisive. He just puts his foot in the ground. He just accelerates and he's gone for like 40 yards. And that was one of those first like really big plays that the New York Giants hit on offense. And it was like the impetus to the offense really kind of starting to get going, even though they didn't really start putting major points on the board until the second half. But man, dude, you talk about effort. You talk about coaching. You talk about blocking in unison. We're not just talking about the offensive line. We're talking about the wide receivers. We're talking about the tight ends. We're talking about the backup running back acting as a fullback, even though he's like 125 pounds. That says something, Dan. That says something about the culture of this team and how well they are coached and how everybody is buying in. And they use that lead. I kind of like that strategy. They used later in the game, Brightwell as a kind of a lead blocker for Barkley on his touchdown run. And that's just something you're starting to see a little mix of every week. It feels like we got a new wrinkle with this offense. In addition to what you're saying, look, they're blocking cohesively now. I mean, what are we getting now every week? We're getting big runs. It feels like almost every week we got one against the Titans. We got one this week. I'm trying to remember. Do we get one against? Got one against Dallas. Um, Yeah. Got one against Dallas. Chicago. Chicago for sure. I mean, we're getting them almost every week now and they're a product of Barkley, like you said, but they're also a product of what is important here, which is the line finding, finding ways to start blocking cohesively. And it's not just, not always just, you know, like a, a double team up front or some kind of inside zone hit that, that Barkley makes his own kind of cutback on. Like you said, there's interesting pinball concepts at work at times. There's interesting concepts in general at work. You have different guys operating blocks last week it was using those extra tight ends and having them do a job in the game this week you said look they have running backs lead blocking at times david Sills pinning down it's a lot of interesting things and like you said before that it was 17-3 packers it was starting to feel like because the packers just got on a really long touchdown drive i believe theirs was like 13 plays 75 yards and ended in like that wide open touchdown to rogers and it was like all right or it was to lewis and it was like all right this is this is going to be really ugly. The Giants can't move the ball against this team right now. And the Packers are going to go on those long touchdown drives. And then it's an 11 play 86 yard drive, 40 yard run by Barkley. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps. And it's called liquid death. Why is this new water called liquid death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst, and the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried Liquid Death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors, Severed Lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another Liquid Death flavor, Mango Chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury It Alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. Again, go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. And then use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. And Dan, there's something about the blocking that I we didn't see last year. Like you can talk all day until you're blue in the face about the front side, the play side blocking. It's these backside blocks that are so huge for the New York Giants. Like we talked about it last week when Andrew Thomas drove that guy into the ground on that one weak side run. Those were all backside blocks. Ben Bredesen climbing up and getting to the linebacker that were well executed. But on the run, the 40-yard run that we were just going over, Mark Lewinsky is basically just gets a free release, climbs right up to Quay Walker and just cuts off his angle. That Mike linebacker is eliminated from the play because of Mark Lewinsky's ability to cut up and locate him on the backside. Those were not blocks that we saw from like the Will Hernandez's of the world last year. He might have right. done a good job on the front side or sometimes when he did pull and kick somebody out, but he wasn't climbing up and locating safeties and linebackers and cutting them off on the backside to minus defenders by one or two to really just assist Saquon Barkley. So it's collective. It's not just the front side of the formation that is having success. It's the backside, which is also really important when you're running weak side because you want those backside blockers to be able to climb and take out those pursuit defenders because you don't have as many blockers to the front side. That's a great point. And that's that's coaching. Like right there, you know that that's something that's being coached on a weekly basis, on a day-to-day basis. It was coached in camp, and that's why they're able to execute it so, so, so right away. And we could finish off that drive, too, while we're at that drive, because that's, I mean, we talked about all the second half turning points, but that's a turning point in the first half. Every single one of the Giants drive, which drives, by the way, Nick, the scoring drives were 55 yards or more, which I thought was incredibly impressive when you consider they didn't really get anything from their special teams in this game uh, on the receiving side of the ball. And they really haven't much all season, but they had to go long fields the entire game to put points on the board. And on that same drive after that 40 yard run by by Barkley, Jones threw a 15 yard strike to Richie James on a third and 13. Third and 13 is a tough spot for any offense. And I want to rewatch that one on the game film, Nick, because I want to see the route that Richie James runs, because my expectation is he he ran a really crisp route. But that ball is driven with anticipation by Jones on a line. Great ball placement, great timing, great velocity. 
sticks it in a spot. That's a big boy, big time throw. And then a few throws later, yeah, credit says Darius Slayton for fighting for those extra yards, but he completes it for 10 yards on the third and nine, which either of those times, you know, those go wrong, third and 13, third and nine. You're going to be like, all right, whatever. It's tough. It's third and 13, third and nine. This is a good Packers defense. Really going into this game, there were no signs the Packers were like, slowing down on defense or this is going to be an easy matchup for the Giants. There's key injuries. Packers have a really good defense and the Giants put them to the test today and performed and executed really well. But to convert those two conversions, it leads to the Bellinger reverse touchdown. But that's three. That's a difference of four key points that ended up ultimately meaning making a difference in this game. And Giants were six and 11 on third down. And some of those third downs were huge, were, were key. On that Richie James play, I just pulled it up and rewatched it. He worked in between two defenders. Like he was going to outward stem, it looked like. And then he cut and split two defenders. And then right at the sticks, he just kind of 90 degree cut right along the line and provided a target for Daniel Jones. That's what it appears. You can't really see what the safeties are doing. We'll, we'll check that out on the all 22 whenever we get that. But those were two huge plays by Daniel Jones and these receivers. And you brought up Darius Slate, man. Darius Slate, what a game from this guy. This is why you play Darius Slate. It never made sense why the Giants kept him around and didn't play him when he adds no special teams value, like we say on this podcast. But this is the reason why you kept him around. It's just a little bit, I don't know, maybe a little shocking that it took him this long to find the football field because just from a receiver standpoint, from a receiving standpoint, he has substantially more to offer than I would say anybody else that is healthy on this roster. I completely agree with you, Nick. Uh, I want to get to individual players in a bit, though. I want to I want to do a couple more key key topics. Okay. So we'll, we'll circle back to this later. And there's a lot to talk about with a lot of key individual players. But just back to the actual uh, the the game as an overall. I want to talk about a, another key moment. I thought in this game when Saquon Barkley comes out of the game with an injury, we're all in pa- like heavy panic mode because at first it kind of looked a little nasty, but that shoulder. That massive 41-yard reception right after he came back in the game. And by the way, that was on a second and long. Remember last year, Nick, the Giants on second and longs under Jason Garrett became the team that ran the ball on second and long more than all all but one team in the NFL. And as the analytics show, and it's like people hear the word analytics and panic, and they think it's all it's one way or the other, like it's black and white. No, no, we'll just say as the stat show, because this is a clear stat. The worst decision in football is to run the ball on second and 10. The Giants had two of their biggest plays on second and long. Second and 11 was part of that 11 play 91 yard drive we referenced earlier. The pass, the the passing play to Brita that got the 10 yard or whatever it was that that was a second and 11 to get the 10 yard gain. That took them out of a third and long. That made that drive possible. And on this one, second and 10, they hit Barkley for a 41 yard, uh, sorry, 41 yard gain on just an incredible design by Mike Kafka. Great play call, great design. What we've been wanting to see get Barkley matched up in these receiving situations where he can do things like he did and where he can be the beast he is in the open space. And he just makes a cut on this drive, where, on this play, where it's just like, one of the filthiest cuts you're going to see all week by any player. The safety has the angle. It doesn't matter. He gets extra yardage on it. But what did you see on this play that really impressed you? It really goes back to Mike Kafka. Obviously, what Saquon Barkley does is, is phenomenal here. But this is Mike Kafka taking advantage of what Joe Barry is running. Because it looks like here, and I'm not 100% certain on the rules, but this looks like a cover three match type of play. And if you watch Saquon Barkley, who is off the line of scrimmage in a stack with Richie James. So he's the second wide receiver off the line of scrimmage. And mind you, this is his second play in the game where the Giants just attempted to run a screen or a fake screen to him in the previous play. I just think that's important just to kind of give you the context of what's going on in this football game. But watch when Saquon Barkley runs this drag. So the Giants clear out cornerback with Richie James. But if you look at linebacker Devondre Campbell on this drag route, he gives an undercall to Quay Walker, who is next to him. You could see him point like that's your guy now. That's your guy. 
but it wasn't because Quay Walker, and I don't know who made the mistake here or what exactly happened. He just manned up on Daniel Bellinger and Daniel Bellinger's job was to clear Quay Walker out of this area. So you can see Devondre Campbell pointing like that's your guy now, but Quay Walker was tangled up with Daniel Bellinger. So it allowed Saquon Barkley to run free in space. He catches the football and there's not a Packer within 10 yards of him. So Mike Kafka took advantage of the match principle defense that Joe Barry was running with this play because there was confusion between those two linebackers as to who was going to take Saquon Barkley and Daniel Bellinger's route going right at Quay Walker is deliberate. That is there to occupy Quay Walker to confuse the young rookie. And it did just that. And then you talk about the juke and everything like that. Just phenomenal effort by Saquon Barkley coming back off injury. Yeah, I mean, he looked exactly the same as before the injury. He looks like he's fine. He's gonna he's gonna play through a lot this year. This dude is tough as hell. Like unless he gets unlucky like he did last year, he's gonna be playing, which is awesome for the Giants. Um, and like you said, there's a lot that goes into that play call. I can't wait to break it down in the all twenty two. But that was another key turning point in this game because after that play, it gets the Green Bay nineteen yard line. They get a nice run by Brita, which was a little surprising too. You know, Brita getting in there and really getting a nice run through the, you know, between the tackles and then that go ahead touchdown off the direct snap, what we talked about earlier. And that was 17 unanswered points at that point, Nick. Now we're becoming this team that every week, the steady drumbeat continues. And it says we are making second half adjustments. The giants are making second half adjustments that play a key factor in winning this game. The giants have outscored their opponents this season, Nick, in the second half 70 to 39. It's a wild number. And in the fourth quarter, 34 to 15, what have we always talked about? The Giants closing down games in the fourth quarter. Daniel Jones playing a factor in closing down games. And he has, by the way. And now they're doing that. They're becoming this team that makes the halftime adjustments and gets that coaching edge in the second half because they're able to adjust. That's something even Brian Dable talked about after the game. I don't often hear coaches talk about second half adjustments. And Dable even mentioned it himself because he knows it's a it's a factor right now and why the Giants are winning games. It's a huge factor as to why they're winning. There is no shot that this Giants team is even close to four wins if it weren't for Brian Dable, Wink Martindale, and Mike Kafka right now. And everybody else on the staff, too, the positional coaches and all just the the other random coaches that are on Brian Dable's staff who he ushers praise towards. That's another thing I love about Brian Dable, man. This guy is... He's very, he's not all about himself. You know, he is about other people. He always says the right things in front of the microphone. And you could just tell, man, this is a real team. Have you seen some of the videos coming out from the locker room after the win, Dan? The the amount of happiness and the amount of pride that these players seem to have in being New York Giants. And I think that does go a long way, but this was a, this was a fantastic win. There, there's no other way to say it right now. It's the most exciting win we've had since that game. I mean, look, that Cowboys 2016, this is a new feel for the Giants right now. We were the first, what, three, five, sorry, the first four games of the season, the Giants went three and one. They had some big wins. They took care of business against the Bears. This game, they were up the whole game. They played pretty good, but it wasn't like, oh, they they crushed the Bears. They made a statement here, right? If they beat the Bears 42 to eight or 42 to 10, people are like, wow, this Giants team made a statement. They beat the Titans, who were the one seed last year, but there was already discussion of this Titans team wasn't the same. They were for Gazy yeah. first AFC team. Sure. That's not taking anything away from the Giants. They didn't have A.J. Brown. But by the way, I want to mention this. The Giants have now beaten both of last year's one seeds. It's just a wild thing to think about. Look, they're not. Well, I think the Packers, by the way, are going to end up winning 
11 to 13 games when it's all said and done. Maybe if a little fewer, maybe I'm overrating them a bit. They now already have two losses. So maybe let's say they lose four or five. I don't think they're losing too many more games than that. They're going to get this thing figured out. It's not even like they got to get this thing figured out. They didn't do anything that's the Giants didn't win this game, in my opinion, because of any kind of lucky bounces or interceptions that just tipped their way. They had no turnovers on Aaron Rodgers, no special teams, punt return for a touchdown for the Giants or fumbles on there. They won this game straight up, as straight up as it gets. Uh, They'll put that aside, but they did beat the last two one seeds. And the point I was trying to make here off of saying that was that, and now I'm kind of forgetting my point. Oh, yeah, my point was, look, you beat the Panthers. We kind of already know the Panthers are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. They're going to fire Matt Rule, okay? They lose to the Cowboys. This was their first statement win of the season. This is the first time we have to now feel like, holy crap, this Giants team is for real. They're not just winning games because of their schedule right now. They're not just beating the bad teams and maybe going to win seven, eight, nine games. They have a chance to push for nine, 10, 11 wins at this point at four and one. Like if they get, let's say to win nine games, you have to go five and seven over the last 12, right? And to win 10 games, they just have to go six and six. So to be even the rest of the way. That's more than doable right now when you consider the schedule. They literally just came off beating the Packers. And you could say that wasn't a road game for the Giants, but it basically was. They're now beating two one seeds on the road. If you listen to the stadium there, there were a lot of Packers fans. And even after the game, Dable was like, that was basically a road environment for us. And you could see Daniel Jones couldn't get all his calls in. There were times where it seemed like he couldn't hear everything. And they were kind of, you know, not as snapping the ball as fast as they had in past games. And that's been something the Giants have been wanting to do. Dable said it like week two. He's like, one of my key things as a coach is I got to make sure these guys are ready to get the play in. He's not going to be the coach that wants those like play clocks winding down to two seconds, burn a timeout, we lose a timeout type of coach, which is great, by the way. I'm happy he hammers that home. But this is a road win against one of the best teams in the NFL last year that's also expected to be one of the best teams in the NFC this year. This is the first time you have to sit back and be like, how good could this Giants team actually be, Nick? Because... This Giants team is four and one despite missing for most of the season wide receiver one through three. You can say four, two, if you consider that Colin Johnson, which basically was like Colin Johnson was going to be playing a full-time role at this point in the season. If he was fully healthy, this is their first four projected receivers, their left guard, their edge one, their edge two, their IDL, their cornerback two, their cornerback four. At some point for most of the season, these guys have been gone and yet they're four and one with a huge win over the Packers. At what point do you take a step back and be like, the ceiling for this team is even higher than it is right now because they don't even have all their best players on the field. And a lot of them are coming back too, right? Like they should be getting yeah. Leonard Williams back, Aziz Ojolari back. And that's another thing too. Everyone like, but Robinson should be back at some point. Yeah, we talked a lot. I know some lot. people will scoff at that with Kadarius Tony, but just give the kid a chance, please. Yeah, and Colin Johnson obviously won't be back yes, uh, either. But uh, we talk a lot about this pass rush and how it was upgraded. You add cave on Thibodeau. You have Aziz Ojolari coming back in his second year. We haven't really seen that yet. We got what a half of that in, in cave on Thibodeau's first ever career NFL game. Like I want to see this pass rush with cave on Thibodeau with Leonard Williams, with Dexter Lawrence, who is, is playing out of his mind right now, Dexter Lawrence. And he's still making the plays in the run game. Like, like we said this on last week's podcast, but I think it's worth reiterating. He is playing like the 17th overall pick that many giant fans wanted right now. Or, he yeah, continues better to play at like this point. Yeah. Or better. And and he's only what, what, 24 years old? He's still a kid, man, too.
But I want to see this Giants pass rush with Wink Martindale's scheme and his propensity to bring pressure and drop guys into coverage and get all wacky with his blitzing packages. I want to see them all healthy. I think it would be great because Kayvon Thibodeau, yeah, he's not lighting up the stat sheet right now. He's making key clutch plays every single damn game, whether it be in the run game, whether it be providing pressure, or whether it be knocking balls down at the line of scrimmage, which I think he has like three or four already this season. Yeah two today one of them on that third and two one of the last plays by the green bay packers offense and this is a kid rookie right here man so i just thought from an overall standpoint this this defense still can be a lot better than what it is right now i still think that so that that's uh it's exciting it's exciting to say the least and i also i love the chess match that we saw out there right because i i did feel like you know yeah the Giants were aligning in middle of the field close, but there were times where they were aligning like cover six, quarter, something like that. And what did Aaron Rodgers do? He just took the flat like every time. Anytime the Giants were giving him those little flat passes, it's like, all right, cool. Death by a million paper cuts if you want to try to kill us that way. The Giants were surrendering that. And what eventually happened? They couldn't create any explosive plays through the offense. And the Giants got themselves in a position in the red zone where they forced a, a third and two and they batted two balls out of the air to force a turnover on down after the after the Packers had eight yards rushing in two plays. And Kayvon Thibodeau, by the way, on that second down run that picked up a couple yards by, I think it was Aaron Jones, Kayvon Thibodeau was the player who made the tackle to force the third and two before he batted the pass out of the air. So just excellent team defense. But Kayvon Thibodeau, young kid out there, man, he's might not be getting all the sacks right now, but just be patient because this, this guy's a player. Yeah, we'll see it on the All-22, but ESPN had him with a 25% pass rush win rate in this game, according to Seth Walder. Me and you have discussed why we're not the hugest fan of pass rush win rate, and I think Justin Pennick did an even better job breaking down why it's a little bit of fugazi, in some ways even more fugazi than the grading from Pro Football Focus. But it looked to the to the naked eye that he was, he was get, having success as a pass rusher in this game. I know the sacks weren't there, but when you watch some of those pass rushing reps, and you'll see it on the film, that's when you'll really get the full proof, and we'll put it all out there on YouTube this week when we do our defensive film breakdown like we did last week when we put it on YouTube. You'll see them yourself. You'll see how he's rushing the passer. And then you could judge for yourself, but he's winning a lot of these reps and he's going to get even better. I thought something that you mentioned about Dexter Lawrence really stood out to me. He's still playing at that high level, even though the matchup this week wasn't Mustafa, right? Like last week was the best game of his career, without a doubt. He's been playing well all season, but last week was the best game of his career. This game, this week might have been his second best game of the season. And I don't want to compare it versus career because that's, there's too many games to look back on. But this was a really good Chargers game last year. He did have a really good Chargers game last year. And this is not Mustafer, though. The Packers don't have Mustafer at center. The Packers have a pretty good interior offensive line. And that's what makes this performance even more stand out to me with Dexter Lawrence, 24 years old, like you said. And I'll admit it, we've been harsh at times against Dexter Lawrence in the past because we are looking, when you invest 17th overall in interior defensive linemen, Nick and I are looking for, first and foremost, can you impact the passing game? Yes, there's always a role for somebody who can play the run like he has over the course of his career. But now he's becoming a consistent producer in the passing game. He's consistently impacting the passing game on a week-to-week basis. And that is why everything we said in the past doesn't hold anymore. And this is the beauty of analyzing football. You can change your mind. You can change your opinions based on the play. You just evaluate what you see. And like Nick and I have always said, progression is not linear some of these guys take massive jumps like Dexter Lawrence let's be honest has not been the greatest pass rusher the first few years before this I have always said so I rated but he's I felt like he was a, he's gone from underrated to yes everyone can see it now he's gone yeah. from underrated to making sacks that change games to having two sack games 
and then back to back backing it up with another sack that changes the game like this game. So like it's gone from underrated. Yeah. You see it on the film to anyone who watches can see it. And that's all. Once you get to that level, when you're impacting it like that, then you are now you've become that player. And, and, and in some ways, if he can impact the passing game, like he is right now, Nick, he becomes a better option. Than even Jeffrey Simmons, who has taken a few picks after him because he plays the run better than Simmons. Very well. By the way, I wanted to ask you, by the way, what's your thoughts on his sack dance? <laughs> the sexy Dexy sack dance. I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a, I, I have no opinion. No take, no take. Could, could you do that? Because we got the question about our flow and our ability to cut the rug, but I don't, I don't know if, <laughs> if you could be able to do that Dexter Lawrence dance. No, I told you when I'm out there, I look like, a, I look like a young Elaine Bennis on the dance floor. So, Ooh, I don't think the, you said that on the mailbag. I that, the, mail. the difference is I don't actually think I'm good. Elaine did. That's the difference. Okay, so you're not delusional. That's good, though. No, yeah. but the moves aren't great, Nick. The moves aren't great. But let's talk back about this. Let's get back into the game uh, and talk a little bit more just about you know some of what we saw in this game. Let's let's transition now and get over to some individual player evaluations from this game. And I want to start at the top here, Nick, with Daniel Jones on the offensive side of the ball. I would say, Nick, and you'd have to think back. I, I, I like. I wish I had all the games in front of me in my mind, and I had such a good memory that I can be like snapshot picture every single play from this game and do that throughout his whole career. But this is up there for me as one of the three, four, five best games I've seen of Daniel Jones in his career. When you consider the context, I think it's especially important to mention that in this game, the Giants tried to run the ball, established the run early. They went three and out twice and they said, okay, that's not going to work. We need to open this thing up. We need to allow Daniel Jones to be more of a traditional thrower in this game which is exactly what he was. I think it's also important to say the Giants had to go away from what was working for them on offense the past two weeks with that boot action game. They knew that wasn't going to be part of the game plan today. Daniel Jones gutted it out, played this game. He ran pretty well for what he was, but he was not 100% as a runner. And more importantly, he was at a point where they felt they could not execute the game plan they wanted to, like they had the past two weeks using him on boot action and using his legs as part of the game. Now, did he make sprinkled it in? Yeah, they, they sprinkled it. Did they sprinkle it in? Of course. Did he make some key throw throws on the run like he has been this season more than any point in his career? Yes. And those plays made a difference. But he had to operate more of a traditional pass, you know, a traditional passing game for the first time, really, this whole season. And he did a really good job with it, Nick, despite starting the game with those receivers that everybody's laughing about. Richie, uh, you know, uh, David Sills and Marcus Johnson for that first snap. Darius Slayton, who we're going to talk about soon, ended up playing a key role and basically was the starter in this game. And he helped Daniel Jones go 21 of 27 for 217 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions, but 21 of, 20, of, of 27 or 217. Some key third down throws in this game. Some key throws on the run. The Sills throw on the run I thought was excellent. Really good patience on that. I thought he had a really great conversion rate on third downs, but a really great conversion specifically on the throw to Bellinger where he kind of hung in the pocket. I thought he looked more calm and collected in the pocket. thought he navigated it better than he has in the past. I think just quite frankly, Nick, he's getting more comfortable within this offense and it's showing. He doesn't look the same as he looked in week one. He's getting through progressions faster. He's getting the ball out a lot faster in key spots. And at this point with me, with Daniel Jones, I feel like we're talking about a player who it's obvious that he's improved at this point i think he's playing the best football of his entire career independent of the cast i know a lot of people point to that pat Shermer season in 2019 i've always said the memory is skewed it's kind of influenced just by a high touchdown number and and three really big games a lot of the production came when they were like blown out and some of it was in like garbage time like 
this is a game they won. They won this football game. These are really important reps that Daniel Jones is running right now. So like that has to be factored in. To me, it's not even a question. Like this is the best Daniel Jones has played so far in his career. Yeah, I mean that season he had a 13 to 0 touchdown to interception ratio against the Lions, the Jets and the and the and the Washington Commanders. The second that, Washington. Cuz I think the first one I think he threw two picks. Yeah, I'm he just was doing terrible it in the first Washington game. Yeah. But in the second game they had quit by that point on the coach. They just ripped it up. The Lions were playing man the whole time, and he destroyed the Lions in the Dome that day. And the Jets had, like, the worst pass team in the NFL that year. All the other games, he was 11 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. And there was just no consistency. That was the thing that we've always talked about on this podcast. We've seen flashes from Jones. There were all these flashes, quote-unquote, in 2019 as a rookie. But really, it was flashes in three games. Now we're starting to see consistency across the whole season. Has he missed some reads at time in the season? Sure. But all quarterbacks miss reads. We can see it even with Aaron Rodgers. And in this game, Aaron Rodgers missed some big throws, which we're going to show on the film. We go over this week. And I think you guys are going to be surprised to see Rodgers miss some of these throws because the expectation is Rodgers doesn't miss throws. He's always on target. Um, but we'll see in this game. But the, but as far as consistent stretch of football, this is the best I've seen from Daniel Jones. And it goes to show a lot of what people said. And as I always said on this podcast, you know, I like to take a step back sometimes and consider when my opinion changes based on new information, based on new data. That's the whole, that's what I love about analyzing football. And a lot of, you know, I'm giving a lot of credit to the people who are always saying the whole time, I think, and they, they went to the bat for this, Nick. They said, I think coaching plays such a key factor in the Daniel Jones situation. And, you know, they're starting, there's really good reason to believe they're right because, or at least they have, they're they're partially right, you know. At least they're making a point that's now resonating within the game, and we're seeing it because Daniel Jones, to me, looks like he's getting more comfortable every week within this offense, learning by these coaches, and it looks like they're coaching him to play his best football. Right? They're not putting him in too many traditional pass back spots, at least until this game. They're letting him roll out, making throws on the run. They're letting him have run pass options. They're letting him put situations where he has easy to find throws where it's either this guy's in conflict or I can run with the ball. I can throw it out to here. And this game, he started to make some intermediate throws where I think in my opinion, I've always felt like he throws the best ball. The throw he made to Richie James, not third and 13. That's the Jones pass. If you look for the defining pass of Daniel Jones career, or even if you don't look at it as a career, just look at the traits that he brings to the table as a quarterback, those deep ends and those intermediate ends, I should call them. He rips those balls on time, always with great accuracy, ball placement and velocity. And so they're starting to even let him do that a little bit. And so in my opinion right now, I would say not only is Jones playing the best football of his career, Nick, you're starting to see signs of a quarterback who belongs on this roster, to be completely honest. He can. And, and like I said, it's all about one thing, just consistency, stack these games, right? We just need just this, that's all we're ever going to ask for. Just. You stack it, stack these games over and over and over again, and that's when you get to the point where you can start to really confident in him. He did it in so many occasions in this game and so many methods because he did roll out, I think, maybe more than what you gave him credit for. And some of those rollouts, like that Marcus Johnson one, I think it was a conversion. Um, I might be mistaken nice there. One, yeah. He had to wait for Marcus Johnson to cross into like another throwing window and he was just patient and he like slowed down the, his speed from rolling out to allow that to develop. Like he's just showing these little mental I love that, advancements man. in his game that that make me feel like yeah this is somebody who has definitely grown 
And this is only his fifth game in this system, which is somewhat of a complex system. And he's had receivers cycled in and out of the of the rotation for him, which is obviously going to hurt the rapport of what he's going to be able to develop for these guys. So there's a lot of things that suggest right now that Daniel Jones has taken substantial steps forward in his game. But you're right, man. It has to come down to consistency. Is this just a hot streak? I feel like those questions are fair. What questions I don't feel like are fair is just people saying that, He's terrible and he's just a pure product of the system because he is making plays himself. He is putting the team, he put his team on the back after Saquon Barkley went down. He made clutch throws on that drive yes. down. What was he down by? He was down by, I think, multiple scores at that point to put the Giants into position to win. Like that is a huge, huge development. Those were the types of things that you and I have talked about for years. Like this is what we need to see. We never see this. Yeah, we saw it in the Saints game, we just saw right. it again. We just saw it again. And I feel like this might have been even more impressive than the Saints game. It is even more impressive than the Saints game because the Packers are a better team than the Saints were last year. The Packers this year are going to be a better team than the Saints were last year. And also, in that, in, you know, there was different situation. In that game, Kenny Galladay was still kind of running pretty good routes. Like Kenny Galladay looked pretty good in that Saints game, right? John Ross was opening up the John Ross was opening up the top. Yeah, he might have had some more impressive throws in that game. That's mm -hmm. one thing to go. Like, we're still not airing the ball out or anything on this offense, but as far as like the little nuances, like you said, I love that you point that out. I've noticed that too. On the rollouts, he's starting to be a lot more patient with these. He also showed that and displayed that on the David Sills conversion later in the game that led to another touchdown. And so yeah. he's starting to get a lot more comfortable within what they're coaching him to do. And that's what they're coaching him to do, like you said, is get on the move and you know have that half field. You have the option to run or you have the option to throw, but you need to be patient with those throws. And that's something that, again, like you said, it's only it's only week five. He's had a lot of wide receivers cycled out. I like I said before, I want to give kudos to all those who are saying everything's going to look different with better coaching, uh, even though I again, like I said, I really feel like he's playing better with these coaches a lot better than he was with Pat Shermer. Again, that you look back 11 to 11 of his 24 touchdowns against three teams that year, 11 to 12 interception yeah. to touchdown ratio the rest of the games. It it kind of tells the story and, the, and all the advanced sets that year weren't great either. But now Jones is not is completing most of his passes, first of all. He's efficient, like you said, with his legs. And one thing that's really been non-negotiable, in my opinion, Nick, that's been the clearest sign of improvement for Daniel Jones throughout this season is the fact that he's being a lot more careful with the football. He's taking care of the football. And when you are a team like the Giants are right now, when they're building it out the way they are with this defense, with the play calling mix, with the run game, you need to be a team that doesn't turn the ball over. And in my opinion, just thinking about it on film, Nick, he hasn't really had a turnover-worthy throw that I can remember since week two. I, again, don't count the David Sills interception in week three against the Cowboys. Sills slipped coming out of his break. To me, that's not on the quarterback, whatever. If you want to count that on him, that's fine. I don't care. I know a lot of people are like, he's still got to see it or he's got to make the right, whatever you can say. I'm just yeah. not doing it. But aside from that, I can't really remember a turnover-worthy throw since that one to Luke, uh, your boy Luca or whatever his name is in Carolina. <laughs> He's done a really good job of avoiding those ridiculous, those those killer backbreaking throws. And more importantly, in addition to not throwing turnover worthy throws or passes, he's also doing a better job of listening to the coaches. And what the coach, what are the coaches saying? The coaches are saying probably I'm just guessing this, Nick. The coaches are probably saying, look, we watched a lot of your film or they said this a while ago to him. Watch a lot of your film. We see a lot of things we like. Here's some things we think you might be able to improve on. There are a lot of examples of you sitting in the pocket, staring down the pre-snap read that you thought was going to be open, staring, 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 keeping your spot and your landmark in the pocket, and then all of a sudden you get hit and you fumble and you lose the ball, and those are back-breaking fumbles. What are they coaching him to do? 
They're coaching him to move forward, get vertical, and pick up yards with his legs, or come off those reads faster because there's another option that's that's more viable for him. And either way, what I, what the result is for me, Nick, is I'm seeing so many fewer plays on film from the past four weeks and then today on the broadcast angle of him locking into that first pre-snap read that he thought was going to be there and then it leading to a sack and a fumble and all of a sudden the game's changed with this key turnover. I do believe some of this is a testament to the coaching, not just what you said, but they are also creating easier plays for him to basically make. Sure. He's going to rise his confidence. Like one of the plays I love and they've run it three, four weeks in a row is the play action. Get Daniel Jones out on the run and you roll him to this. You roll him to the strength and you have Daniel Bellinger block down and then just release. And so they had nice. the same play to David Sills on the third and three conversion by the goal line. That is such an easy play. The defense never pays attention to the guy who's acting like he's in pass protection. And he can just like find a way to, to, to fit in between zones when no one's paying attention to him because they're already matched up paying attention to the guys who are running routes. So, so it's true. such an easy play for Jones. And Jones has, like most things here, it's, it's not an RPO, but you have several options on that play because you're rolling out, you're reading the defenders deep like, like you always would. But then you could take it with your legs or you could just just flick your wrist right to David Sills or Daniel Bellinger or Tanner Hudson and pick up like seven, eight, nine yards on that play. So I feel like that call by Mike Kafka has been one of the more simplistic yet brilliant wrinkles that he's added into this offense to assist Jones in maximizing his potential and just help him move the football down the field. Yeah. And again, maximizing Jones with the coaching Jones doing a better job, uh, you know, taking care of the football. Jones making key throws. Jones making key plays with his legs. We're starting to see a quarterback who's, at least in our, I, I would say at this point, we can clearly say he's taken a step forward. He's taking well to the coaching. He's improving within the, within this coaching staff. And so he deserves a lot of credit for the game today. I feel like, would you say, Nick, that we, we've both kind of agreed this is the best stretch of football in his career and he's playing probably the best football of his entire career. Would you say that he he looks even more comfortable out there? Or is that something that you're still looking for more of? I felt like today was a good example of it. I feel like other than the injuries, a little bit hobbled, and I think you could yeah. tell. So you're just talking about from just within the system. Absolutely. All the other systems he's played in, he spent time on his back like the entire time, just getting sacked. That happened against Dallas, and then the coaching staff was like, all right, we need to not allow that to happen, so let's create a game plan that's going to mitigate the risk of our right tackle who is struggling and allow Daniel Jones to use his best asset, which is his mobility. So I would easily say that this is the most comfortable that I've seen Daniel Jones, which coincides with the best football we've seen. Makes sense? Yeah, and I think one thing that was key in today's game as they started to open up that passing game more, look, it wasn't the greatest. We would love to get to 250, 275, but we hit a milestone today, Nick. We got over the 200-yard mark. We got to 217, I believe. Was it 217 or 207? It was one of two. I saw a seven in there. But it was 21 of 27. Yeah. It was what? 217. Yeah, 21 of 27 for 217 is not is not the it's not, it's not world-breaking yards per attempt, but it's not bad. And part of his, and, and more importantly, Regardless of what the final number said, he was connecting in the intermediate range more often in this game from a traditional standpoint than we had seen in past games. And one of the key factors in that, allowing that to happen, was Darius Slayton. This is a wide receiver who me and Nick have talked about now for two straight weeks. We feel like he deserved more playing time. For me, look, I see it. I get it. The drops are there. The concentration issues are there. There's mental mistakes at times. I don't really care. I got to be honest with you at this point, Nick. I just don't care. 
I'm okay with a drop or two. I'm honestly okay with a drop a game. People, I feel like this is a big thing in the fantasy football community, Nick. A lot of people feel like the the general public rhetoric on drops, like people just put way too much weight on the importance of drops. And it kind of makes sense. A drop pass doesn't really kill you that much in an NFL game. It's not great. You don't want it. Sometimes it takes away first downs. But if you're dropping a pass or two a game, but you're also getting open 90% more frequently than the rest of the receipt, than your uh, competition at receiver, you're obviously providing an edge. Like, the drop doesn't make up for the, the receiver who just doesn't create separation and doesn't give it's, the Yeah, it's the Deontay Johnson argument. Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. Deontay Johnson yeah. is clearly a benefit for not this year. This passing game is terrible for the Steelers, but it's clearly a good player you want on the field. And Slayton today was clearly, and he didn't even really have, in my opinion, any, like people knock him for not looking back on that throw that Jones made that was like yards behind him. That to me, look, he should be looking around, I guess. And I'm sure there was some kind of miscommunication, but that ball, I think we both agree after looking at the film on that, that was, yeah. that was Jones's one bad play of the game. Like it's wide open space in front of him. Jones has to hit the ball. And and part of it was Jones was looked a little rushed in the pocket. He kind of got that ball out hot and fast. I think he, if he settled in a little bit more, he could have thrown that with a little more touch, but regardless, besides that one play where Slayton didn't turn his head around, he didn't really have any of these mental errors. He had one unbelievable play the best play by far in the game where he caught the underneath inbreaker that should have been tackled short of the sticks and somehow fought his way forward for a first down. That's a key play because that drive was going to be a field goal. Giants were going to kick a field goal if he doesn't fight for those yards and they stop him short like they should have. Him fighting for those yards got them into a position where they eventually scored a touchdown. But he also worked the intermediate levels of the field and got open in those ways. And just generally as speaking is by far and away creating more separation, it feels like, than anyone but Richie James. The only other argument you can make right now is Richie James. And maybe Marcus Johnson. I got to look at Marcus Johnson. I'm interested to see some of his snaps. But, you know, as far as Slayton goes, I feel like he, at this point, and after the game, look, Dable said, when you play well, you earn opportunities. And that pretty much was my sign that said he's going to start playing a lot. Like, that was Dave's basically being like, yeah, we, I saw it too. He earned this. But <laughs> at this point, I don't think he's coming off the field, and I don't think he should come off the field. I think until Tony and Robinson get back, for me, Darius Slayton needs to be a 90% plus snaps receiver. Did we didn't even bring up Sterling Shepard, too, when we were going over all these injured right. wide receivers. Right? Wide receivers one through five. It, it, it's insane to think about. And it doesn't make any sense either, right? But it doesn't matter because the Giants right now, they're four and one. We know somewhat a reason why and it is the coaching it is opportunistic football it is a team game this is this they're playing like a freaking team right now on defense on offense the run blocking the passing game you you see everybody rallying to the football on defense you see everybody running their ass off to throw blocks whenever Saquon Barkley is in space or anybody and that's just a, a, such a great sight to see right now yeah Slayton looked phenomenal in this game. And, and I thought he was getting open. I thought he was where he needed to be. He made a bunch of clutch catches, some on third down, like that one slant that he ca caught third and nine. He makes that catch. And that was a slant with outside leverage cornerback and a safety who's buzzing down right to where he is. He makes that catch, goes airborne, and then still fights for like an extra yards to ensure the Giants get that first down. Like little plays like that, Dan, are the difference in the Giants winning the football game. Because say that they don't get the first down, and then for whatever reason, Dable doesn't go for it. He kicks the field goal. Something happens. Big play on the next drive for the Green Bay Pack. Anything could happen that could change the course of the game. And him fighting for that extra yard could have been the difference in the Giants winning this football game. I thought he yeah. played well. 
Slayton, to me, is a player who is going to make a difference, regardless if he has a couple mental lapses. How about the offensive line in this game, Nick? Because it really does feel like we're getting to the point where, look, matchup beat game plan. I get it. The Giants are getting the ball out fast. They have a lot of design rollouts. They have a lot of design runs. All understandable. But at the same time, it's a Packers defense that was pretty damn good coming into this game as a pass defense. And it feels like the offensive line really has taken a step forward in the last two games now in pass protection. Uh, you don't hear Andrew Thomas's name. Yeah, he potentially gave up a sack on the defensive holding play, and he did, but it was defensive holding, so it doesn't count. Other than that, clean sheet again. This dude is just a clean sheet machine at this point. Evan Neal, back-to-back games where you didn't really hear his name in pass pro. Was he tested two weeks ago? Probably not. I mean, look, I get it. The game plan against the Bears was what it was. But the fact of the matter is we didn't have plays where it's like, oh, man, Evan Neal just got destroyed around the edge. And he looked like he, you know, like he looked two weeks ago or three weeks ago. It's the Cowboys where he derailed some drives with some of his pass blocks and took away some key plays that could have been big plays. And we started to see really that entire unit gel in the past. We've already seen, seen it continue in the run game, but I feel like in the passing game, we're starting to see a big step forward on the offensive line. Yeah, from the broadcast angle, all that checks out. It seems like they're all blocking uh, well enough to allow Daniel Jones to get the football off. I also feel like Daniel Jones is being much more decisive in his reads, and he's getting the ball out of his hands like right when the receiver goes to where they need to go. And a lot of the horizontal spacing type of routes that that remind you a little bit of Jason Garrett, the Giants converted on a couple third downs like that. But I feel like the way, I feel like the way this offense calls those route concepts it's just so much more creative like they'll they'll flare somebody out in the flat they'll use somebody underneath to draw the attention of that underneath defender to allow daniel bellinger to just kind of sit in the voided space like like stuff that we didn't necessarily see as much even though jason garrett would do that it just wasn't run as efficiently or as effectively obviously from everything that we saw but daniel jones too i feel like is also helping his offensive line out and i don't really I want to wait to get the all 22 to to give my full evaluation on how the offensive line performed. But from everything that I seen, it wasn't like they were getting abused or beat like we saw in week three against the Dallas Cowboys. Right. So that's a step in the right direction. It's a big step in the right direction. Let's flip things over. We're going to talk more about all these offensive players in the offensive film breakdown. I mean, you could talk about Saquon Barkley every week. He had another huge game for the Giants, quite obviously. Um, But let's flip it to the defensive side of the ball a little bit. We talked a bit earlier about Kayvon Thibodeau. But one thing I really love about this Wink Martindale defense, when you usually found yourself as a fan getting into those spots where Packers are on that long drive, what do we all think? This is probably going to be a touchdown, especially when it's like third and two. You're like, ah, they have two downs here. It's four down territory. There's no real way to stop them. And that was clearly evident earlier in the drive. Like there was not really a way to stop them except for one potential way, right? Crowd the line of scrimmage and get your hands up. Because if you don't get your hands up, I really feel like, the pressure was not going to get there. It was all quick game anyway. And Rogers just too accurate and too good at it to be stopped in that quick game situation. So the Giants, in my opinion, one thing I've really noticed and liked about this defense, Nick, over the first five weeks is they do put a present. They they make it really important for these defenders when you're when you're on the line of scrimmage in those looks and some end up dropping send, some they send as blitzers. But the ones they end up sending, they make it really important to get your hands up. Don't just go in and try to get the pass rush and try to get the sack. Jump up, try to get your hands up to disrupt the quick game. And this game ends on two batted balls in the line of scrimmage. Pretty big factor in this game. Huge factor in this game. And if you watch the third and two play, the Wink Martindale acts like he's sending Jalen Smith, who is on the three by one side, is on the three receiver side. It's a nub formation with with Tanyan as the lone receiving option to the backside of this play. 
And he acts like he's sending Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith kind of does the Kavika Mitchell a little bit, only opposite. He acts like he's going, and then he drops into coverage and sinks underneath the number two receiver. And they just run a follow concept where the number three goes over the middle of the field. Then the number two kind of runs like a like he's running a flat, and then he pivots really sharply and runs right where the number three just ran. And Jalen Smith is sitting right underneath that. And that made Aaron Rodgers double clutch and kind of flow to his left a little bit. And then he tries throwing the football after Jalen, after Jalen Smith is not in position to make a play on the football anymore. And that allowed Kayvon Thibodeau to get his hand in the air to knock the ball down. And I feel like Dexter Lawrence was right in his face with his hands up too. So I felt like from a, and we'll be able to really know this once we get the all 22, but I felt like the way Wink Martindale called this game, it was conservative and then it was aggressive at the right times. And I'm not sure if the film will substantiate that. We'll, we'll, we'll wait and we'll, we will wait and we will see. But those two plays, third and two and fourth and two, Dan, those were excellent play calls at that time to just cause Aaron Rodgers to hesitate a little bit. And then the, fourth down one you just blitz two guys unblocked get both of their hands in the air and you have the one-on-one he tried to hit back shoulder to alan lazard xavier mckinney knocks it down and that's just one of those one of those plays that we're going to remember at the end of the season to defeat the freaking green bay packers you know yeah it was unbelievable just to watch that happen as a fan like you just couldn't expect it you knew when that ball was batted up it wasn't going to get caught based on where it was in there based on the post tip range and you're like oh my god they won this game they actually figured out a way to win this game because even before that you're like all right the backers are driving they're going to tie it up so i really feel great about overtime right now i don't know and they might even go for two to be honest and i know they're converting from two yard if they're going for two there i know the packers are converting at that point at least that's how i feel and so i'm just like wow that actually happened but one thing that I thought was really interesting that you said was he was conservative and aggressive, but he kind of had a good mix of that. And I think that's important because you can't just come out and blitz Aaron Rodgers or have a Matt, a game plan like you had against Baker Mayfield or Justin Fields against Aaron Rodgers. He's going to make you pay. And as we'll see on the film, like there probably are some moments where he kind of could made could have made Wink pay. Uh, and he just maybe missed the throw. And honestly, to me, I feel like part of the issue is I think those receivers suck. I think the Packers receivers are terrible. I don't think Randall Cobb is good at all. I think Aaron Rodgers made him look good today, if he even was considered looking good. Randall Lazard, Cobb was beating was beating Holmes a decent amount. Beating Holmes, half. but that's not like, to me, that's like, Holmes is not at the point yet where I think that's really like that great of a thing. He needed to get a little bit of happiness on the sideline. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw that weird video, but uh, it was an, it, I feel like this is something for another time, but I feel like it's been a mess season at best for Darnay Holmes. Uh, well, we can talk about it at another point, but to me, like, man, when you have a game plan like this and you do decide to be aggressive at those times and you know, you can't be aggressive all game against Aaron Rodgers, but when you do, you get home and you bat a pass here or you have a sack there. It just, it just shows how good of a job that specific defensive coordinator in this case, Wayne Marndale is doing. And I talked with Dusty Evely. We did a podcast previewing the game and he brought up how the Packers offensive line will have like kind of like mind numbing mistakes on the Dexter Lawrence sack. You kind of saw that a little yes. bit because Kayvon Thibodeau, he, he wins around the edge to provide pressure. But for whatever reason, Josh Nyman, who was the tackle at the time, because David Bakhtiari was out for that drive because they like recycle their, their tackles, they cycle their tackles in and out. He steps inside first when he has no one to help him with Kayvon Thibodeau. It was kind of weird. He steps inside to focus on Dexter Lawrence, and he's like, Oh, I got to block that guy. And then he leaves, and then that just isolated Dexter Lawrence against that guard. I'm wondering if that guard thought he had help 
at the time, which really allowed Dexter Lawrence to just run through this dude's face. Like, I'm not really 100% sure, but I just found it odd that that offensive tackle didn't even pay attention to Kayvon Thibodeau until we were about a second into the rep and Thibodeau was about to nail Aaron Rodgers. And and that that play, like, yeah, credit all the world, all the credit in the world to Dexter Lawrence. But of course. if Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't have that kind of when what have we all talk what did we talk about as our favorite trade about Kayvon Thibodeau coming out of the draft? Get off, baby. Just to get off. And if he doesn't have that kind of get off on that pass rush up the arc and around, Rodgers can see Lawrence and he can just do his classic Rodgers. He can bounce out of that pocket and roll and probably he's going to hit something because he's Aaron Rodgers. And the whole game looks different, right? Or he doesn't take the sack there in field goal range or he completes something short there in field goal range. Whole game could change at that point. But with Thibodeau getting that jump off the snap, he kind of forces, you can see Rodgers, he's looking and he, as he feels that pressure, he has to really jet forward and step in. And then at that yep. point, even though he's able to recognize that Lawrence is coming free, he can't go backwards at that point because he's already committed to going inside, taking that step forward. And there's really nowhere for him to go because he'll go right backwards into Kayvon Thibodeau. So it's just a perfectly executed play really by the Giants. And it was also a scheme thing. Now, I just pulled the play up and I'm watching it right here. The Giants have, I don't know the player. I can't get the number right here. Okay, Tony Jefferson aligned in the A-gap to Kayvon Thibodeau's side. And I think that might be a reason why Yaman opened up towards Dexter Lawrence, stepped inside because he wasn't sure if Tony Jefferson was coming on the blitz. Tony Jefferson bails, but you could see that guard who ends up getting bull rushed by Dexter Lawrence, he's looking at Tony Jefferson first, and then he pays attention to Dexter Lawrence. So I think that kind of planted a little nugget in that tackle's mind, like, hey, I might need to block Dexter Lawrence. The guard will have to take Tony Jefferson, and then Kayvon Thibodeau will be just running free. Because obviously you block the the most dangerous man, which the most dangerous man would be the ones with the most inner path into the pocket, which would be Tony Jefferson, which would be Dexter Lawrence. Kayvon Thibodeau would be going free. And it took, I mean, just a little bit of time to realize, oh, wait, he dropped in the coverage. Now I got to focus on Kayvon Thibodeau. So again, another little scheme thing just by pre-snap alignment by Wink Martindale that did what? We talk about it a lot, Dan. Manipulated the opposing protection package. Love, Love it, that. bro. Yeah. That is freaking awesome, man. It's so cool because we didn't really have much of that. No, Not to knock Patrick Graham. I just don't remember us talking about that much and having like too this. many examples of that. What'd you say? Not like this. Yeah, not anywhere close to this, really. And it's just... Again, kudos to this weekly edge the Giants have on and uh, with their coaches. It's crazy. Like they did this so well this offseason to hire these guys. Great job to hire Dable. He did an even better job hiring Kafka, who we haven't even really mentioned yet today, even though he had another great game. We can save that for the all 22 because that's going to be just fun to break down some of these play calls that he had. And then Wink as well. Like you bring in Wink Martindale, this dude who should have never really left his job. Like the Ravens, like there was some weird stuff going on. They had a lot of injuries and not their best season. And they kind of like disagreed from what I've heard behind the scenes on some money issues, whatever it was, a coordinator like him doesn't just squeak free like that for a first year head coach like Brian Dable. And he got him too. just really excellent job. We talk a lot about like, oh, what did Shane really do that much this offseason? Well, guess what? One most important job for a G, for general manager is to hire the right coach. That's what any if you ask any person in football, they'll tell you the number one job for the general manager is find the right coach. And he found the perfect coach in Brian Dable, who also brought in the perfect coordinators to run this team. So kudos to Shane as well for doing that, because that's what they say is the number one job. I want to talk a little bit more about some uh, some of the players in this game who made things happen on the defense side of the ball. You mentioned Jalen Smith earlier. It's going to now with all these evaluations that we're going to have Thibodeau Smith, anyone we've talked about, we're going to want to look at the film and that's how we're going to get a better feel for this. But I felt like on the broadcast, man, this dude is, is has really seamlessly transitioned already into this wink Barndale defense. 
And I feel like he's at, he's adding something to their defense. And maybe he's never going to be that same player he was at Notre Dame or the player he was during those first few years with the Cowboys. But you see some of the you see sometimes you see the athleticism flash in ways you don't expect. Oh, yeah. And more importantly, it's the instincts. The instincts he has as a true linebacker instincts, they make a difference. The combination of him and Tay Crowder, it it might still be a weak point of the defense overall. It is surprisingly better than what it was when Austin Calitro was out there. Like, I don't even look at the linebackers like, oh man, these guys are just terrible. I think they're playing to an adequate level right now, like a, a level that you can win with from what I've seen. You haven't really seen them out of position. You haven't seen them lose their gap integrity. They had like one or two plays last week against Chicago, take Crowder on one weak side run, kind of didn't scrape over the top and allowed the guy to climb and get him. And, and it led to like a 12 or 13 yard run by Khalil Herbert. But other than that, you haven't seen it in the last two weeks since Jalen Smith has been here. So, so far, it's definitely a win. We'll see how it progresses and if he can maintain this level of play and if he could stay healthy. But I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing from Tay Crowder and Jalen Smith. We'll get a much better understanding of that once we see the All-22. But it wasn't like the Packers were running the football down the Giants' throats, and they were attempting to. They were running the football. They were running the football on that final drive, staying honest, trying to trying to uh, take advantage of the fact that I feel like the Giants were playing you know, more middle of the field open at that point of the game, just trying to run into lighter boxes, and the Giants' run defense was still pretty sturdy. And that's what I was going to say. Part of it is also the coaching. Like Giants play so much more single high than we're used to and so much more single high than most of the league that it is harder for these teams to run, and it, or at least – Schematically speaking, it's it's not as it doesn't seem as advantageous for them to run, especially yeah. you know when teams in general are looking to pass more, and that takes pressure off Jalen Smith and Tate Rather, there's no denying it, but you can see a difference on the times when they are tasked to make plays. You can see a difference there, and so I also want to talk about just how how do you adjust as a defensive coordinator when you have the injuries you have at corner? Dory Jackson goes down this game. Now we're hearing early reports suggest that. It's he said, or at least according to I think it was Leonard, Pat Leonard, or maybe Duggan. I don't remember which one, but he said it was more of a precautionary thing that he didn't come back in the game. We'll see about that. The Giants injuries this year have been a disaster. All these injuries have turned into longer than I expected. Everything's day to day and then it's like lingering for weeks. So I guess we'll just wait and see on Jackson. I hope that he's right. Fabian Moreau left the game too, Nick, but that now has been discovered as just cramps, which is great news, to be completely honest. They just I don't want to see them go down to like Lane and McLeod on all these like that's it. And it's like another like that one and two on the boundary. That seems like it's gonna be but either way, the Giants were able to, like I said earlier, six incomplete passes on deep throws from Darren Rodgers. The Giants are now the seventh best defense on deep pass against deep passes from a percentage standpoint, despite being a mostly single high aggressive defense. It's playing a lot of men. It's crazy to me. That was supposed to be the Achilles Hill, right? Wink Marndell comes in, it's like, all right, he's fun. He's cool, but you're going to give up a lot of big plays in the passing game. And then we're like, ah, eh, you know what? It's been great, but we haven't faced a real quarterback. And then you face a real quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, and you're still not giving up those deep pass plays. And that's to me, stands out a lot. Stands out a ton. We saw some of those deep pass plays against Tennessee just on the deep over routes that they just kept yeah. hitting. We were like, oh, geez, okay. It's going to be a fun defense, but I haven't really seen it since. We haven't really seen it since. He saw the C.D. Lamb drop against Cooper Rush. I think that's going to happen sometimes middle of the field closed off of play also action. That was like no quick game too, by the way, which, you know, that's given the giant, that gives defenses trouble. It wasn't, it wasn't quick game, but it was, it was uh, right after a big play, the lamp, the lamp. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a, it was a sudden change. Yeah. Sudden a, change. Well, Sorry, that's which I it wasn't remember. really a sudden change. It was just a third and like 12 conversion by Ezekiel. Elliott. Sudden change is like when 
you get an interception and then your offense right, yeah, comes not out, technically sudden change. Yeah. It just felt like they were a little just from being there watching that live. It felt like the defense was a little off keel on that one. Yeah, and Dane Belton uh, almost that that would have been that would have been interesting if CeeDee Lamb caught on to that. I wonder if he would have got in the end zone. But regardless, the Giants just aren't really giving up those plays so far. They face right. a legit quarterback, like you said, and they'll face Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, we just saw on Sunday Night Football, had a plenty of deep passes that he overthrew and that he wasn't on target with. Right. Can that be replicated? I'm not sure, but it's going to be interesting to see Wink Martindale against his former quarterback. Especially if Bateman doesn't play, they're a different passing game without Bateman. Um, and that Duvernay is a good player, though. I will Duvernay say. is a good player. And by the way, I don't yeah. know if you remember, we talked a lot about him in the pre-draft during that when he was a rookie. We talked a lot about him as a potential late-round guy that we liked, um, and he definitely is a good find for them. I feel like they do a good job of like the Tylen Wallace was another guy we were on. Uh, Roche, yeah. uh, Crochet was another guy that we were. Yeah, these are all like they're all like these late th- uh, third day three picks. Who are like, ooh, you see, you see it flash on film. Ravens like collected them all. But still, I feel like the Giants have a really good chance to continue that next week as well against Lamar Jackson. If anyone knows how to stop Lamar Jackson, it's going to be Wink Martindale after practicing against him every day. Now, the same could go the opposite way. You could say, well, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense is going to have a really good idea how to beat this defense because they practice against this defense all the time. Of course. So it goes both ways. But at the same time, it'll be really interesting to see nonetheless. Any other individual players you want to get to in this game before, before we wrap up with maybe some final thoughts? No, I just want to get to that all 22 and we'll yeah. bring a very comprehensive breakdown of the offense and defense to everyone. For sure. For sure. All right. I think I'm good then as well on this. We're obviously going to talk more as it goes, but just an unbelievably exciting win for the Giants. They moved to four and one, like I said, for the first time since 2009. Crazy right there. And they're now in a position where they beat one of the toughest teams they have on the schedule. The Packers on the road in London was one of the hardest games in the schedule. They go back to back here with a tough one against the Ravens, but they're in a really prime position here to make a run to get into the playoffs. It's crazy that they're in, they've, we didn't even talk about this, but they're somehow now in like one of the hardest divisions in football. Apparently the Cowboys are four and one. The giants are four and one. The Eagles are five and oh, which by the way, F you Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, they had a real chance to beat the Eagles in that game. They had a real chance. If they had a timeout, like they should have had any timeouts, they had two minutes ago and Murray was moving the ball pretty well and I called that quarterback draw that they went back to I was like perfect call and I actually was like kudos Cliff you finally did something good you called the quarterback draw it worked early in the drive and then they just had a brain fart Murray had a brain fart on that yeah, one. Was of Murray. Course, in the ball that's on Murray but like at the same time dude like why don't you have the timeout that's on Cliff like you won't even need to spike the ball if you had the timeout there and it's just like why is there in timeout well one of it was unlucky did the penalty but why were there other two t- he always ends up with no timeouts in the fourth quarter Cliff Kingsbury it's just truly unbelievable stuff to watch this guy coach games and so that pissed me off but the point is like it's a tough division now and there's a lot of competition five and oh four and one four and one but they're really making a pri- they're priming themselves the Giants to make a run you would love the sports radio out here and how <laughs> they much they just crush him oh yeah they just, they crush just him. extended him I know it's it, it's an odd situation and they're all well aware of it, which is which is funny to listen to whenever I'm in the car. But anyway, Nick, it's just freaking awesome, man. Four and one. Who saw this coming? Biggest upset win of the year for the Giants. And just it's all everything's great right now. Everything coming up. Giants this game this week at home against the Ravens is going to be phenomenal energy at that stadium. And I'll say this. The Cowboys game at home Monday Night football was really great from an energy standpoint. And I heard the game the week the week before the Panthers game 
really great from an energy standpoint. So I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the Giants. And the same thing for the Bears game. Heard it was good energy. But that Cowboys game was next level. I think this Ravens game is going to be next level because it's going to have a playoff feel. The Giants haven't had a meaningful playoff feel at home in so long. And I know it's early to say playoff feel, but a 4-1 and Giants against a 3-2 and Ravens, that is a playoff feel for me. After the Giants, like winning four games was almost an accomplishment in the previous couple yeah. seasons. And they already have four wins in five games. Yeah, like even just thinking back to how much, how happy and excited we were when they beat the Seahawks in 2020. I was like, all right, looking back now, I'm like, that is not the same level as this, right? Like this is a totally different level. That season was we had a backup we quarterback, though. What'd you say? We had a backup quarterback. Yes, and then they were in it because the division yeah. was so bad. Now they're in it because they're actually winning games. They're four and one. Yeah. So I just can't wait. To all the listeners out there, thank you so much for anyone tuning in. Please rate, review, subscribe. If you want to help us even more, there's a new thing to ask for, and that's go to the YouTube page and like this video, watch these videos, subscribe to that as well. More content coming your way this week. We will have a few things. We will have offensive film breakdown, both on the podcast and YouTube. We will have defensive film breakdown, both on the podcast and YouTube. Check out our Instagram and why big blue banter there. Also, we're going to have a preview of the Ravens. I've maybe we can get McCusick back on. That'd be fun. I don't know if he, I'm sure we can. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm sure if he's available, he'll come yeah. on. Okay. So he's, we're a, he's a friend of the podcast. Like how many friends of the podcast do we have? People who have been on multiple times. Those yeah. that's what constitutes a friend, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. And so he had a great podcast. You guys probably remember him helping us break down Wink's defense this past off season. So we'll probably get him on maybe somebody else. A lot of good content. When you're winning this many games, maybe we'll do another mailbag. Maybe we'll do something. Who knows? There's fun stuff that comes up during the week. You're thinking the brain's churning and you're thinking giants all the time. And it's really fun time to be a Giants fan. And finally, we got to this point. It took forever, but we finally got to this point where the Giants are a really fun team to watch. I think PFT commenter, shout out him. Pardon my take, my favorite podcast out there um, in the universe. And he said today, wow, I don't know if I can handle this. The Giants are a fun team to watch. I feel like I can't remember the Giants ever being a fun team to watch. And I will say this, PFT, you were missing the 2011 season. The Giants were a very fun team to watch in 2011. They had no defense. No pass production, 32nd ranked pass blocking, according to PFF. They threw for almost 5,000 yards with three great receivers in a run and shoot Gilbride choice op option offense. And it was just freaking awesome to watch. That was fun. There's no denying that that was a fun team. But since then, I can agree with you. Even in 2016, they weren't so fun. They're finally fun to watch again. So let's enjoy it. Have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.